Welcome to Preparing for Robots with your host, Dave Gerber. The future of technology and your place in the workplace are addressed here every week. Now, your host, Dave Gerber. Welcome, fellow humans. I'm Dave Gerber, your host of Preparing for Robots, and I'm so excited to kick off this episode of our international program here on Voice America's business channel. We have a great show lined up today and we have a very interesting guest. If this is your first time listening to the show, let me share some quick information. On Preparing for Robots, we have the opportunity to talk about the impact of all things digital on your personal, professional, business, and leadership future, everyone's future. And we will dive headfirst into this seemingly endless, all-encompassing, unknown digital revolution. I specialize in helping business leaders go after low-hanging fruit solutions to address costly pains associated with all types of organizational and personnel-related conflicts. Want to quantify how costly these conflicts are for your business? Go to conflictcalculator.com and you'll see the cost of human conflict. So I help businesses increase collaboration, save money, and generate revenue by harnessing conflict solutions. From consulting to coaching, training and facilitation, to multi-generational hybrid solutions. I provide business leaders and professionals answers to all types of people-related challenges. As we prepare for robots, humans are going to have to maximize their performance, increase their creative problem-solving skills, their conflict management abilities, and better adapt to the changing business landscape. We're talking about losing 50% of jobs in the next 10 years. What does this mean? My goal with this show is to help bring the discussion to life so that corporate boards and executives, leaders and professionals can better understand what is coming and what to consider. How do we help professionals become the best version of themselves to help our businesses prosper? We have to look at the digital world, simplify the conversation, and all be a part of the discussion. So I'm here to streamline complex digital subjects with the help of content experts. Let's hear what they want us to know in a way we can understand. We often don't pay attention because it becomes super technical and can even make our brain hurt, AI, AR, VR, all of it. And it's all crashing into us at the same time. How do we make sense of it? That's what this program is all about. We can help leaders from all different business industries consider the issues and then facilitate the discussion back within their organization. Let's get it started. Today, we're going to kick off the show by talking about cybersecurity and what businesses and professionals need to be discussing. We're going to look at also what the government and higher education professionals in those industries need to be thinking about and addressing now. Tina Rodriguez is our featured guest today and an expert on cybersecurity. She's currently transitioning into the role of Director of Technology and Cybersecurity Services at Maximus Federal. Previously, Tina was the Senior Advisor of Cybersecurity to Higher Education. She's been a Chief Information Officer and also a Chief Information Security Officer. And with her help, we're going to tap into this subject of cybersecurity. And we're also going to examine the impact of this stuff, as I said earlier, on uh, professionals working in government and higher education. Welcome to Preparing for Robots, Tina. How are you today? I'm terrific. Thanks for asking. Yes, fantastic. And it's great to have you. I'm really happy about that. And thanks for helping us simplify sort of this subject for international business leaders and professionals who are coming from all different industries. Uh, the hope is that, as I said, they can take it, our, our conversation back and have it spark some discussion uh, within their company or organization. So let's just jump right into it. You know, what makes it necessary 
for all types of business leaders in different industries and not just the CIO or the CTO to understand and have working knowledge of cybersecurity issues? Well, I think the reason why executives in particular need to be at the forefront of this is because cyber risk is business risk. If you look at what happened with Facebook and with Equifax, uh, they have tremendous business impacts that if they were not incorporating cyber risk into uh, how they're looking at their organizations, they're really missing the plot, right? They have gotten so focused on the functional aspects that they have not considered both internal and external impacts. And part of want every executive in your listening sphere to think about is how not only does it impact their organization, but it also directly impact their career. If, again, if you look at Equifax, if you look at Target, if you look at some of the federal ones at OPM and uh, HHS, it was the top executive in each of those who lost their position. So not only are there individual impacts to the people whose data might be hurt, but there are organizational impacts. Uh, Veterans Affairs is still reeling from that original uh, loss of a laptop uh, decades ago at this point, and they didn't even have a compromise of the data. It was a breach, but not a compromise, right? So ultimately, the what's in it for them is the fact that they're going to be able to be successful uh, as an executive, as a leader, not have the risk to themselves where they could lose their literal job over this. So we're really talking about, and it's good, we're making distinction here. We're talking about there's this organizational pain. There's also the, the pain of the people whose information is, is breached. Uh, and then there's also what you're talking about is the, the pain around the responsibility of a professional who's either directly or maybe not even directly responsible for the problem, whether it's the leader of a group, whether it's somebody who's on the team. Um, is that right? Absolutely. And part of what you're seeing with the changes in the laws, such as in the EU with the general data protection regulation and with the changes that were recently made by the SEC is they recognize that the executives are where cybersecurity starts and stops, that the buck is there, right? The buck stops at their desk. So if they're not leading strong cybersecurity postures and maturities, that no one else is going to invent that, right? So that's part of the reason why this message needs to be available broadly to your listeners, because executive leadership is what is going to bring about strong cybersecurity. And they don't need to be uh, technically adept at cybersecurity specifically, but they need to know what questions to ask and how to make sure that they have done everything necessary in order to have the due diligence and due care required by these regulations such as GLB and if it was a federal system, B1712. So it would also strike me that, you know, when I think about conflict and the work that I do and, and even in project conflict, we have this position called risk manager, you know, and as I always like to say, we can't put all of our stake in the risk manager and they can't be the only person that's paying attention to this stuff because they can't possibly capture everything. So in many ways, it sounds like 
you know, even if, so clearly the C-suite needs to transform and, and have these discussions. It also sounds like for our listeners who may be not in the C-suite, but may have some influence, is that they need to be talking uh, about this almost like a risk management perspective. Like everybody's on the team to point out some of these issues. What do you think about that? I think you're absolutely on the ball. Um, everyone has to realize that they have a role to play when it comes to cybersecurity and cyber risk management, and that it can't be just esoteric, navel-gazing exercise. They have to realize that there are real impacts that are affecting people today. And it's not just identity theft. Uh, you know, in my various roles, we're seeing active extortion. We're seeing people who are put into compromising physical positions um, and assault based off of that to include plotting. Uh, so if they're not taking this into account on every board decision, what is the cyber with this choice, right? They're going to have cascading effects and ramifications that, that can affect every aspect of their business. Um, I have been on executive risk committees where, for example, the uh, acquisition team might think that cyber has nothing to do with them. But what we have to recognize, according to the law and according to um, statute, is that uh, external dependency management is absolutely key to making sure that you are contractually obligating your vendors, your service providers, your partners in um, in helping maintain your posture. Think about the target breach. It wasn't target per se that had the vulnerability. It was their um, HVAC vendor that was vulnerable and they inherited that lack of control, right? So if you're not doing the right things, you're going to lose millions and billions of dollars, as well as all of this lost goodwill and credibility in the workplace and in the industry. And not to mention lawsuits that will follow on for people who get their information, data compromised, et cetera. Right. And, so, and so the other thing, so what I really... Target hear, lawsuits are still ongoing. The Equifax one, there are hundreds of lawsuits. Yeah. And so the what I hear you saying is that we leaders and not just not just leaders but professionals at really at every level of a team really need to have a new filter around this subject it's sort of like how is what i'm doing and contributing how could that possibly be affected by some cyber related issue and and sort of i see it as particularly as a, as while we're in transition and these, this stuff isn't quite as established, it's going to be the onus is really on the, the professional to sort of say, hey, wait a second, uh, I think it's important for us to pause because in this case, you know, we're dealing with a vendor and I know we normally wouldn't talk about it, but I think that maybe our vendor might not be that secure and we need to look back at our contracts and et cetera. So really, it's we're talking about a new filter about how professionals see the threats to their organization, their job, their team, their function, and also you mentioned personally, you know, because now we're talking about people's personal background. Absolutely. And making sure that at each layer that you're doing the right things and that you're working 
uh, holistically to reduce the risks within your risk appetite, within your risk tolerance, right? And I see so many organizations who don't have a risk appetite statement, who don't discuss cyber risk or maybe even risk at the board level, that they, they're not annually briefed as to what the threats have been, what the impact and right? And the costs can be quite extreme. Um, and it's very interesting if you, if you look at the research about that. Um, the the Ponemon 2018 says that the average cost of a breach is around $200 a record, depending on whether it's malicious or not. But if you look at the cyber claim study, you can find that um, malicious attacks have increased the cost per breach, the cost per record of a breach uh, up to $1.6 million per record, right? So if they're not doing their... Uh, assessments correctly of the impact to their organizations, um, they're going to end up just like Anthem, where they had a cyber insurance policy for $100 million, and that sounds like it would be enough. But once you lose 81 million records, uh, that doesn't even cover the the credit checks that you're paying for for each person, right? The total Mm. cost on that one was closer to $31 billion with a B. Um, And and if they don't have the funds around to, to pay that out of pocket, then they're not only impacting their bottom line, but their, their future possibilities. And, and everyone's job, essentially, at the organization, because if they go out of business, everybody loses their job. And so if we, if we back map that as well, it's another reason why professionals need to get engaged in the game uh, and talk about this stuff, whether they sit at the... Uh, sit at the C-suite table or not. It's sort of like one-off, one conversation at a time. You know, let's start to have those, right? Right. And it's funny because I've heard people who have been trying to imply that they're, you know, it isn't as bad as that or, um, you know, it's a much ado about nothing. But I think part of the problem that we're facing is that these organizations don't have the mechanisms in place in order to detect the breaches as they're ongoing. Uh, and so if you look at the recent uh, Department of Justice indictments um, around um, the election or around the Iranians who are hacking the uh, institutions of higher education, uh, the various groups didn't even know that it was ongoing, right? And you can think of several examples that happened in 2016 where there could be multiple groups inside the walls hacking your data and no one was aware, right? So if you don't even know you're being hacked, there's no way that you can prevent it or respond to it. And whether that's a technological hack or a, uh, or a human system hack, because social engineering is also so prevalent. And that's what happened in several instances as well, where they never got into the system, but they were able to... Uh, call in or send a spoofed email and and cause people to act outside of policy and outside of process. So you really have to bring about that good digital citizenship where you're building a security culture that the awareness isn't at just a basic level, that you're doing background checks, that everyone realizes the specifics explicitly of their role in order to bring around a strong cyber program, a strong cyber culture, a strong cyber sense of safety, just like you would do with um, fire drills, just as you would do with anything else that's uh, 
a threat to your very existence. So, so this is great. Can you just give us a real quick definition when we talk about data breach or breach what you're talking about? Absolutely. So it depends on whether or not you're talking about a federal system, a financial services system, or um, some other data. Normally, the breach definition focuses on personally identifiable information, but it's broader than most people expect. It includes unauthorized disclosure and hacking, as you might imagine, but it also includes alteration, destruction, authorized access. And if you think about personally identifiable data, even your credentials count, right? And Mm -hmm. they're essentially the keys to the kingdom. So there have been so many times in my career where people will say, well, that's not a breach. And it's like, yeah, they had unauthorized access. There was the potential of unauthorized disclosure. And you start checking off how it affects all of this. And, and it's well-defined in GLBA uh, in 16 CFR 314.4B. It's well-defined uh, in GDPR uh, in Article 4. Um, it's well-defined in OMB 1712 that it's not well-recognized industry-wide, regardless of what sphere you're talking about. Oh, this is awesome. We're getting everybody in the game. We're, we're talking about cybersecurity. It's time to take a break and hear the important messages from our sponsor. But when we come back, we're going to continue to ask Tina about this stuff and about what business leaders and professionals need to be thinking about with respect to securing the perimeter and new technologies that organizations can use to defend themselves. I'm your host, Dave Gerber, and you're listening to Preparing for Robots on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Learn more about Dave's keynote speaking and podcasts, Preparing for Robots, The Conflict Healer, and Pre-Marriage Questions. Check any of your normal podcast sites, his LinkedIn page, and his websites, DaveGerber.com, DaveGerber.info, and PreparingForRobots.com. It's time to take charge of your own career path, but how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Synergy Development and Training helps leaders maximize human performance with standardized conflict management and professional development solutions in order to increase retention, save money, and generate revenue. Go to SynergyDT.com and use the conflict calculator to learn about your organization's human conflict costs and find out what our training programs can help you do about it. That's SynergyDT.com to learn more. Or email Dave Gerber questions and thoughts to questions at SynergyDT.com. 
You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Redis is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Preparing for Robots with Dave Gerber. If you have a question or comment about the show, Dave welcomes your comments by email to questions at SynergyDT.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm your host, Dave Gerber, and you're listening to Preparing for Robots on the Voice America Business Channel. We are here with our international audience and my very knowledgeable guest, Tina Roadbrig. Let's jump right back into this again. You know, Tina, how difficult is it really for business leaders and professionals to, quote unquote, secure the perimeter? Well, it's a great question because uh, it's almost as if you have to be perfect every time, right? When you're talking about your perimeter, you have uh, bad guys who are attacking any which way that they can gather data on, and you have to be right 100% of the time. You always have to be scoring an A-plus on that. But you have to think further more deeply because bad guys are sometimes within your teams, right? So there are external threats, but there's also internal threats. So I think that you have a lot of work to do about not over-trusting your employees, your managers, and your executives, because we find that uh, there are significant threat and more uh, impact from internal bad actors than external bad guys, especially because they know exactly how your controls work and how to get around them. Um, so you really have to have um, multiple layers of check, ensuring that you have duty rotation, uh, as well as separation of duties, um, and that if you do catch someone acting in a way that is not in the business best interests, that you, the first time you catch them, that you go immediately to termination, because uh, what studies have found is that if you don't stop it the first time, it'll get bigger and worse, right? Where their first, their first um, negative impact may be a small uh, target, it will only get bigger. And that they tend to um, bring in others in a, a, in a colluded sort of way so that you're not able to protect sufficiently, right? Um, also, you need to make sure that you're working towards having um, multiple means of detection, again, whether it's a human system, a uh, technological system, whether it's a process, because if you are neglecting any part of those, that's where that vulnerability can be compromised, and then you have that lack of control. So making sure that at all points, you have some multiple layers of safeguards versus how excellent organizations do it. 
that they know that one control will never be sufficient. Um, and they're not actively thinking about it in that way. They'll say, oh, the firewall catches what research has shown say Beto in 2011, is that they're actually less secure, right? So there's there's no panacea, there's no end-all be-all, uh, but as long as you're being mindful and aware uh, at all times, uh, then you can get closer to that level of vigilance that you need and that your investments will start to protect you. Um, the way I heard this best described when people take a technology only focus was the president of Squirrel who said that most organizations have uh, nine, 75 are installed and none of which talk to each other. And that is actually the worst of all worlds because you have this illusion of security, but you're not any more protected than if you had nothing. Uh, these are some really interesting things that you're pointing out. One of the distinctions that I that I think is a way to simplify this too is that I think about uh, most people I think most people, when they imagine this concept of cybersecurity, they almost imagine like somebody holding a shield, right? Or there's this like force field over top that's continually being bombarded with with attacks. And I think that visualization doesn't capture it because, in fact, to your point, people are actually hitting you from the inside. And so I think that's a real important takeaway. I know for me, as I listen to you, is getting people to be mindful, not just about the uh, external threats, but the internal threats. And really the other analogy is this concept uh, you sort of alluded to really the, the front door. You know, as soon as they get in the door, it's only a matter of distinction around what kind of problem they've caused or what we call it. The other problem is that, in fact, they're going and they're opening a back door from the inside and allowing other bad actors inside, right? So how hard is it to be cyber safe? Well, you, you really have to make sure that from the full life cycle that you are incorporating this. And so many people who are in the IT world will think primarily functionality and security will come second. So what we end up seeing is uh, people who will leverage open source software, but they'll never do any type of verification that there's no beaconing, exactly like what you're talking about, and that there there's not nefarious activity going on within this newly created code. We'll see it where someone will stand up and not architecture and it has good throughput and is very strong but it also doesn't have checks and balances to make sure that you know beyond the firewall that it you know that it's doing business application monitoring and that you know exactly what is supposed to be occurring from a logic perspective and that you're not accidentally uh, you know handing the goods out to people who ha- shouldn't receive it right so there's multiple levels that you need to be working at so making sure again that you have this culture where there's this critical mindset and you're always second guessing whether or not it is sufficiently secure in each role and that it's not just someone else's job right that you know that if if you have a perfectly uh performed implementation or design of a policy or solution that if it's not secure it's worthless and so that that really is part of what needs to be the new gospel as far as i'm concerned of cybersecurity. Um, if you 
if, and if you don't have it, it's, it's, it's time to get the true religion. Yeah. And, and that's part of one of the things that I mentioned early in the show with this concept around getting a, a fluency level, right? So as a part of our establishing a culture with this particular mindset, that culture, the individuals in that culture have to have an increased level of fluency, whether it's conflict, whether it's Absolutely. digital, whether it's risk. And so as they increase their level, and I like the way you're approaching this because you're really talking about from the ground up. And as we develop this culture and this fluency and we're starting to engage more, now we're going to sort of demystify the subject. We're not going to be fear-based. We're more likely to have better, more collaborative conversations with different stakeholders that need to be included in the discussion about how to protect themselves from digital threats, right? So we've talked about this cyber safety. What, what are some of the new technologies or protections that businesses across industry can be thinking about? So I think there's a, a lot of advantage um, around the new approach, getting away from just governance, risk, and compliance, and getting into the integrated risk management field where you have figured out exactly what your data assets are and doing deep analytics around that aspect, building in artificial intelligence and as much automation for anything that can be um, routinized so that you have the ability to have a uh, single pane of glass uh, practice where with one view, you know exactly what are the ongoing threats, how you're protecting against them, and that you're really tracking to minimizing that risk. Um, in some ways, it may sound uh, like a science fiction future, but that is something that I have seen in the real world today. But it takes a level of coordination and orchestration that most organizations haven't gotten to. And so mm-hmm. I love how you said that it's uh, bottom up, but it's also much top down and you have to do both consistently because if your uh, business leaders aren't leading this charge, no one else will follow through. And so there may be awareness at all the way down to the bottom ranks, but they'll be aware and not active. And you have to get to that level where everyone is empowered and autonomously, uh, appropriately taking the right steps to be good digital citizens, maintaining every part of your security posture. Yeah, and I think it's it's a good because we sort of brought in this analogy of top down, bottom up. Clearly, leadership has to uh, engage and set the tone. Uh, and and I guess for my clarity's sake, is I'm thinking about bottom up, saying that when leaders do this, they have to start thinking about going after culture and some of these baseline foundational things because otherwise what I fear is that like many other types of conflict solutions, it becomes very band-aid sort of patchwork at solutions. Uh, One of the things that I just took away from what you're saying is that now as organizations are progressing, they really need to be considering cybersecurity as part of the ingredients and what they're putting together for their product or service, not just thinking about it as some ancillary piece that has to be taken care of down the road to help protect whatever is this business product or service. Is that right? That's absolutely right. I like to um, compare it to making a cookie, right? And security has to be one of those main aspects like the egg that you make 
that you use in order to build it. And while you could try to put an egg in a cookie after you baked it, it would be disgusting and no one would want to eat that cookie. So <laughs> similarly with cybersecurity, you have to think of it as one of the initial members that you integrate holistically and don't try to just add it at the end because otherwise you have a fried egg cookie and that's, there's no recipe in the world that calls for that. Yeah, that's gross. And actually a great analogy, um, very helpful, I think, to get people to understand uh, what, and it's the same thing I talk about with, you know, with, with this work of communication and building high performance teams, you got to start from the beginning, you got to do it right. Because if you don't do it right at the beginning and you cook it for the right amount of time, you're going to get a cookie that's not going to taste very good, let alone trying to go back and put an egg in it when you're finished. Uh, one of the things that I know, well, two of the things I know you have background in and success with are talking about these issues, not just with business leaders, but also talking about the impact of these issues around cyber with leaders and professionals from a government side and also the higher ed side. So, you know, let's, let's choose one. Let's start off with uh, government uh, agencies and people that are connected to government work. What are your thoughts around uh, what leaders need to be considering now that are in the government space? I think it, within the federal space, there, there are multiple uh, uh, cadres of folks, and it in, in some ways deter is determined by their background and experience, uh, but you have um, certain individuals who deeply understand and are really trying to uh, flag forward. They understand that we're creating these uh, cyber Maginot lines, and while it may seem strong on the outside, they're just um, boundaries that could be used against us in the grand scheme, and they're, they're really doing uh, a lot of active good work. And then you see other folks who don't really understand and actively resist uh, getting well or will not uh, put forth uh, the prioritization, the time, um, and so they'll pay lip service to the importance of cyber, but you can tell that the commitment isn't there. Uh, and then um, the, the, the cascading after effects are that you'll have perhaps uh, you know, documentation of controls that really don't function the way they should. Mm. Um, in the higher ed space, it's unfortunately, um, as reported by Gartner, uh, even less mature where um, some organizations will think that it's strictly an IT problem and that they will have almost no executive awareness about cybersecurity, that they won't even understand why they have to think about it. Um, and then when, in my experience, when you, you know, tell them that you understand that there's a breach, they, they won't even answer the phone and they'll actively work uh, against getting well, right, to their own uh, worst interests, if well. So it, it can be a very interesting time. And that, of course, is not every institution of higher education, uh, but... Um, some of the ones that you would think would be strongest in it sometimes are the worst actors and will have multiple breaches in a given year um, and and still not recognize that um, sometimes it's not about the data. Sometimes it's about, um, as we saw with Grizzly Step and some of the other instances where they're now being used, their processing power is now being used as a host to attack other people. And they have not, uh, 
started to consider the liability aspects because now they're hosting malicious actors and will be attacking uh, other systems for months, if not years, right? And the liability impacts on them. Um, so there, there's really a tremendous amount of work that needs to go into this uh, so that everybody has the right mindset, the right culture, and really starts to consider that, you know, credentials are the keys to the kingdom. And that if you're not using a multi-factor authentication and you're not teaching people how to use multi-factor authentication, that you're really no more secure than if you had no authentication. Mm. So, you know, it seems to me that we're talking about solutions that everybody's got to be taking part in. I mean, that's, that's, I hate to go back to it, but it's like that risk management analogy. It's like we all have to be taking part of this. I think when it comes to solutions, one of the challenges that I found from, from, from my work is that when an organization of any kind, I don't care if it's a school, if it's a nonprofit, I don't care what it is, is once they actually out loud verbally acknowledge a problem, it, it, it requires them to come up with a solution. Now, if the solution is too scary, too big, too costly, uh, too intimidating for the individuals that are in the place in that actually are responsible for creating solutions, this is going to be a real problem. What are your thoughts on that real quickly? Uh, I think that um, if you think it's too costly, you have to think of the alternative, right? Um, and I can, again, quote statistics about the impact of uh, a breach. But it, uh, my argument to most folks is if you think security hinders your innovation, right, I wonder if you wear a seatbelt when you drive because you argue you can't go fast because you're wearing a seatbelt. It, it's a fallacious analogy. Uh, you have to have security in order to be able to go faster because we'll be able to be more innovative. And I think uh, integrated risk management and making sure that you take those identified risks and reducing them is the only way that you can get closer to safe and that you have to have constant vigilance. Fantastic. Well, we're going to continue this conversation in a few minutes. It's time to take a quick break to hear the important messages from our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to talk to Tina further about the what leaders can do, you know, whether it's from business, whether it's government, whether it's the federal or whether it's uh, higher education, what leaders can do in terms of some serious steps at this point. I'm your host, Dave Gerber, and you're listening to Preparing for Robots on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Learn more about Dave's keynote speaking and podcasts, Preparing for Robots, The Conflict Healer, and Pre-Marriage Questions. Check any of your normal podcast sites, his LinkedIn page, and his websites, DaveGerber.com, DaveGerber.info, and PreparingForRobots.com. It's time to take charge of your own career path, but how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. 
Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Synergy development and training helps leaders maximize human performance with standardized conflict management and professional development solutions in order to increase retention, save money, and generate revenue. Go to SynergyDT.com and use the conflict calculator to learn about your organization's human conflict costs and find out what our training programs can help you do about it. That's SynergyDT.com to learn more. Or email Dave Gerber questions and thoughts to questions at SynergyDT.com. You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Ritas is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on The Voice of America Business Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Preparing for Robots with Dave Gerber. If you have a question or comment about the show, Dave welcomes your comments by email to questions at synergydt.com. Now, Back to this week's show. Welcome back. Great to have you with us for more. I'm your host, Dave Gerber, and you're listening to Preparing for Robots on the Voice America Business Channel. We are here with our international audience and my very knowledgeable guest, Tina Rodrig. And Tina, let me ask you this. We started to talk about, uh, we, we did talk about internal threats with respect to cyber. What are some cybersecurity active external threats that organizations of all kinds need to be thinking about right now? I think that's a terrific question, Dave. So part of what you have to change is your perception of what hackers are, right? It's no longer the Matthew Broderick of uh, war games. You're now looking at highly organized nation state actors and criminals who know exactly what are your most valuable treasures. Uh, if you think about what has been highly uh, public um, last year and now more recently, uh, within the uh, higher education space, we saw multiple uh, uh, colleges, universities, as well as K-12 systems that were attacked by uh, the dark overlord. It was very public on Politico and CNN uh, and also uh hearings on the Hill. And what we found in those instances is that the initial breach was not the final attack, that part of what they would do, knowing that these various institutions were vulnerable, is they would break in, steal the data about the children, and then threaten the school systems that they were going to sell the data to sexual predators or actually contact students and parents threatening death um, if they did not pay. Uh, so they're not looking to do some sort of web 
sale of data anymore where they know they can't get that much money on a per record basis. They're looking for bigger scores where they can actively extort money um, from folks who they know have it. Um, and this isn't anything that you can't read it on Twitter because they're very proud of that. Um, and it's the same group that hacked Netflix and some of the other groups and they're, they're extorting them as well. So it's not just the ransomware, although ransomware is also a terrible threat. If you think about um, some of what we've experienced in, in the last few years, we had one situation where a institution lost 50% of their records unrecoverably. So if you think about how much of your data is important, and if you just lose half of it when you cannot recover, right, that it's a very easy way to go out of business. Um, more recently, we have seen uh, that uh, there are multiple schemes, not only the Iranians recently indicted by Department of Justice, which, by the way, did not stop them at all, according to the committees on the Hill, that the, the Iranians are still actively hacking, still gathering potential uh, credentials and stealing intellectual property and other data but that uh, they're now also targeting uh, college students trying to get their refund. There was an alert put out uh, just last week about that. So it, as you're thinking about um, who, you're, uh, who you're protecting, realize that not only do you have to protect the, the consumers, you also have to protect your employees, that if your W-2 system isn't secure, then they might be able to break in, steal that, and then use that information to file hypothetically false IRS tax returns. And then there are multiple ramifications. The other thing to think about is just because they've attacked you once and gotten data, if you don't do the right things to stop them, they're going to come back for more. You're going to give them a second bite at that app. And we have seen that again and again, whereas they might have a primary target of, say, your intellectual property, but that doesn't mean that it won't come back for your financial data, for your employee data, for anything that they can later um, use for other purposes because you have not taken the steps. And at, that reiterates the importance of detection, prevention, and response. It, because whether you realize it or not, um, external actors can tell whether or not you noticed what they did, right? And they will be putting in advanced persistent threats so that they can either beacon back in, they might rewrite your code, and they will know whether or not it's still working, right? So the other part that is really important to know is that most of the time, the these methods of compromise are not fresh, right? Equifax was an outlier in that that patch was only a few months old. Most 99.9% .9 of the time, the compromises, the vulnerabilities are more than a year old. And in many of the cases, they're two to 10 years old, right? So if they are not taking an active approach for these mainstream known vulnerabilities or opportunities for hacking, they're really just leaving out the welcome mat because it doesn't take much. Yeah. And I keep thinking of this house analogy and, you know, a landlord or somebody who wants to rent out their property knows that 
it's you better spend a whole bunch of time and effort and resource to ensure that the person that you're going to rent to is going to is not going to be a problem because as soon as you let them cross the threshold into your home or whatever you're renting your property now getting them out is going to be is is going to be a, a nightmare let alone if we make keep the analogy going they decide to before they leave to trash your house before they go not even because they're robbing it just decide to destroy it so for me this is really about preparation and planning and i know from my experience in working with uh, conflict management that we don't we're not really a prevention based society so our mentality you know think about the bookstore we have uh, four books on how not to get diabetes and 4000 on uh, what to do when you get it and i've used that analogy before and so getting people to shift their mindset around preparation, not allowing anybody in the door and ensuring, as we talked about earlier in the segment uh, or earlier in the show, about watching out for these types of internal threats that, uh, that can happen. So what, what are some things, maybe some specifics just to hit on the higher ed uh, that they can do with respect to prevention steps uh, beyond getting in the game uh, mentally and culturally, what, what are some of the things they need to consider? I think that there's a very straightforward approach that they can take. Um, and this is true in the higher ed space as well as financial institutions and really general organizations. The first thing they need to have is a deep understanding of what their risk profile is. What choices have they made historically that makes them more at risk or less at risk? And, and have some consideration as to whether or not that was an intentional decision, whether it still benefits their business, and whether or not they need to make some adjustments to their risk profile and making sure that they know what their risk appetite is and having a formal process to do that risk management that isn't, again, just an esoteric exercise, but something that they actively work every day. Uh, then they need to go through and assess whether or not, given that risk profile, whether or not their cybersecurity is at the level of maturity that needs to be. And they need to do this on multiple domains, right? That's not just technology. They need to think about how they're doing their risk assessments, if they're doing it in a formal way, whether or not they have a person in charge, right? Most organizations don't. Um, especially in the higher ed space, some research has said that it's high as 80% of the of the institutions do not have a person designated to be in charge of information security that is, you know, a dedicated role, if at all. Um, and then they need to go through how they're creating their training, whether or not they have a cultural awareness, if they're working towards that. They need to go through all of their controls preventative, detective, corrective, right? Because most organizations, again, don't have an incident response plan that's formalized, that has a team, that they know who to call. So if there is a breach, they're doing this third party, trying to find a consultant, the most expensive way, the least effective way. Um, you know, they need to think about whether or not those controls include encryption, whether or not they have business continuity management, and really take a hard look and not trying to give themselves partial credit, right? It's a yes or a no. It's a you have it or you don't. And if it's not being done or done at the right level, it just doesn't count. I already touched on external dependency management and, and to a certain extent, I'm not trying to make everybody a contract lawyer, but I think they need to make 
very clear in their contracts that they're being held to the standards that the regulations hold them to. If there's a notification requirements, as mentioned under GDPR, um, they, there's a new law. And if they, there are now literal fines in California and in the EU, and it's not just if your organization is working in Europe. For example, if you have European employees, if you have European students, if you have data about Europeans, right, and they don't have to be just citizens, they could be residents, that all of these laws apply and the fines are in the millions, right, of euro, which is even, depending on the market, is much more expensive. Um, so you have to really start looking at your risk assessment to ensure that you're looking at the penalty risk, the direct costs, as um, whether or not the recovery is expensive than what you have around in terms of cash, that there's a budget line item in for recovery and that you are actively creating the training and the tools and the uh, ongoing um, efforts in an organized, cohesive, and well-orchestrated way. And that lastly, that as you're going through all of this, that you are taking those lessons learned and actually changing your policy, changing process, changing your technologies. Because so many times I've seen it where I will be sent a policy, but there's no enforcement mechanism and there's no evidence that they ever follow it. So at best, once again, it's lip service. And they're not able to do much more than hope. But hope is not a plan. And it certainly isn't a response. So there's very specific things. Uh, and I have personally run workshops around organizations where I walk them through this based on um, industry best practices and tools that I myself have uh, automated to make sure that they have that initial and that it gets them their game plan. Last but not least, making sure that um, as they put together their plans of actions, that they're following through in a way. Um, there was one a financial institution that I worked with, and they were very strict about it. So there were no waivers. You, If it was a critical vulnerability, you had two days to fix it, right? If it was a high vulnerability, you had two weeks, right? And that everyone understood that um, these ratings really mattered and that they would never be in the situation like Equifax had where there was a patch, it would definitely affect their data, it was critical and they'd let it go for months, right? There's no way. So if you don't start having that rigor and discipline at every level, uh, you're going to end up in the line just as, <laughs> or worse, unfortunately, where you have direct costs to you personally, to you organizationally, and in some instances to us as a nation. Yeah, I mean, this has been great. This really, you've been able to share, I think, and simplify issues for people to, to you know, think about them across industry. You know, we have to sort of wind down, but I do want to ask you before I let you go, a few of my lightning round questions that I like to ask just for fun. Um, with everyone who comes on the show, no pressure, you know, easy. So um, before we let you go, one thing that you love about technology. I love that we're making the world a better place. I think that it has the 
human and other problems and that if we, you know, if we do the right things with it. One thing you dislike about technology. That we tend to make it more complex than it needs to be and that we allow uh, politics to gum up the works. (laughs) Excellent. If you could have a robot do anything for you, what would it be? I would want it to manage everything in my house, like a full house room. I think that would be terrific. I would never have to mow. I would never have to clean. I would never have to worry about any of that. It would be a full, you know, lifestyle that I could just 100% auto. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of us who are in that same boat. What will humans do in 30 years if jobs have disappeared real quickly? Uh, we'll starve to death. <laughs> but no, I, we're going to shift, aren't we? Yeah, I know. I think that we might be approaching a post-work era, right? If you think about how we began in in the agrarian societies where we existed, we might ultimately become um, a, a culture focused on creating art, creating experience, creating those things that make us human. Absolutely. I love it. Uh, if people want to hear more about you or find out where should they go? Um, I'm transitioning, as you mentioned, into a role at Maximus Federal. Um, and I just found out today that my email address there is tkorodrick at maximus.com. And uh, they can reach out and I'll be happy to help them with their questions, find them answers, and perhaps even lead them towards some excellent solutions on the technology and cyber front. Awesome, Tina. We're all out of time this week. Hopefully, we've energized you on a Monday and for the rest of the week as well. Check this out. Dealing with human workplace conflict, communication, emotional intelligence, creative problem solving, the ability to do these well is the future for humans, businesses, and organizational employees. If you want to talk more about that or you want to talk about the impact of things digital on humans, email me questions at SynergyDT.com. Tune in next week for our show where we might look at the impact of digital on the global economy and stock markets, crisis management, self-driving cars, robots in the classroom, or another side of the digital disruption. Wishing every human on the planet a great day today and a jumpstart to the rest of your week. You've been listening to Preparing for Robots on the Voice America Business Channel. I'm your host, Dave Gerber. I love you. And we are out of here. Thank you for listening to Preparing for Robots. Join Dave Gerber next Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy the week.